Hey, good morning, everybody. How are we doing today? Good. Anybody enjoying the cold? Okay. Snow, right? Loving it? Loving it? It was, uh, you know, I, I got to say this morning as I'm getting ready to come in and, and preach, and, and, um, which is always a blessing, but one of the things that really warmed my heart, believe it or not, coming in this morning was as I uh, came down the road, what is this road out here? Basil, Basil Western, right? And I look up, and I see our flags up, and I see my friend Paul Johnson out there just getting the sign right. It wasn't perfectly right. And, and then I turned the corner, and he waved and smiled at me, you know, warm inside, but I know it's cold out there. And then Jared was out there putting signs up, too, and both those guys just serving in that way um, truly made me feel so special and so thankful for being part of this church. So thank you, brothers. Much, much appreciated. So today is the final uh, week of our Advent series, The Promise. We've been exploring the themes of Advent each week and leading up to Christmas. So the first week, just a quick review, Paul taught that God's promised hope came in the form of a person. How Jesus meets our deepest longings and is the hope for our present and for our future. Then the second week, Ryan looked at the promise of peace that was given to the lowly shepherds, that there would be a new government which would come and would bring peace to the world. And then last week, Paul shared again the deep joy that comes in the promise that the Savior of the world was coming. It is a joy to receive and a joy to share. Today, we're going to visit the promise of love that was born into the world in the form of a baby in a manger, how that love was demonstrated and lived out in the life of Mary. So if you wouldn't mind, we're going to start out with a little bit of prayer. Uh, I sure could use it, and then uh, we'll get started. So bow your heads, please. Good morning, Father. As we come to you this morning, my prayer is that you use my mouth to share your love to those who are listening, that our time together could be a strong reminder of the love you have for each of us, and that through these words, what others can come to have a greater appreciation for the love you demonstrated in the story of the birth of your son, Jesus Christ. Your son's beautiful name we pray. Amen. All right. Christmas season, right? Is everybody ready? No? Maybe? A few of us? A few of us? Um, I want to say we're ready, but it's not due to my efforts. It's due to Amy's significantly. So I'm very thankful for that. But I got to tell you, Christmas is my absolute favorite time of year from Thanksgiving on through New Year's. There is not another time where I just get more excited about the season. It, it's really just wonderful. And I, I, appreciate it so much. Growing up, I think I've shared before, uh, I got to go to my grandma Johnson's. She lived in southwest Michigan right along the beach, so it was almost always snowy. We always got to go sledding. It was a wonderful time. Tons of family. There were 17 cousins all packed in this house. And uh, the thing I really appreciated is the joy she had in prepping the house, right? Getting all the decorations up. There would be a live tree, usually way too big for the room. Um, True glass lights on it. And then, does anybody remember the tinsel strands you'd put on the tree that you could only use on live trees because once you put them on, you could never get them off, right? Although the cat usually figured out how to get them off and bad things would happen when the cat got a hold of that tinsel. I don't know if it's outlawed now. Um, you still got it, Paul? Okay. It's rare, right? It's very rare. But it was very cool. The tree would just be covered in that tinsel. Another thing she would have is, is these uh, live-cut wreaths. 
just throughout the house, in the windows, on the doors, everywhere. And um, it was wonderful because you'd come in and there would be this beautiful pine smell, right? Just glorious. And it was especially appreciated because literally it covered up the mothball smell that was also in the house a little bit, <laughs> just being honest. Um, but it was, it was very, very cool, very, very special time. Um, and each one would have a hand-tied bow that she'd make out of that red velvet ribbon that she'd cut and make herself. And my mom did that as well uh, as I was growing up. And then there was another thing that I remember specifically. Um, it sat on an end table next to this green couch that was probably the most uncomfortable thing you could possibly sit on. It was hard, and it had those, like, um, I don't know if it lace things or whatever, but if you moved against it, it would, like, scrape against you. Did anybody else have those growing up? Yeah, it was not very comfortable. But on this, on this end table, there was this beautiful porcelain nativity set. Just gorgeous. And I don't know why she put it there, because it's right at eye height for young kids. And we had this loop that we'd run, kind of like my grandkids do now in the house, where you're running between the den, living room, kitchen, den, living room, kitchen, and we'd just chase. But when you came to that area, you didn't run, right? Because you knew if something happened to that nativity set, you were gonna, Christmas would not be so grand if something happened to that nativity set. But um, it was so cool. And, and the nativity today is still just a very familiar depiction of the love of God coming into the world. You may have one in your home, but I know they're everywhere, right? I, we were walking to uh, Christmas in the village with our family, our grandbabies holding their hands, and to see and stop with my grandson and show a nativity that was in the front, somebody's front yard. It was simple. It was, it was probably about this tall, though, made out of plywood and painted white and lit up. Just beautiful. And I just love it. I love what it represents and all that it means for us. Um, but the question is, what's a nativity? Why, why do they call it nativity? Why not a barn or a stable, right? What does it really mean? Well, the word nativity comes from the Latin word nativus, meaning born native. The nativity scene that we set out each year is a depiction of the birth of God, of the universe, into this world. The baby Jesus, surrounded by his mother and earthly father, barnyard animals, shepherds, and angels. And when you look at the nativity, everyone, to include the animals, is focused on the baby Jesus, which is exactly where it should be, right? Our world has come a long way since babies were born in a home or in a stable, thankfully. Um, and nowadays, the big thing with babies is a gender reveal, right? I won't go there, Megan. I won't go there. Um, but gender reveals, right? They're the new or newer thing. Everybody's doing it. Uh, some people take balloons filled with either blue or pink, shoot them with a gun. Boom, you get to see. Some people are more simple, release balloons into the air, pink or blue, right? I, I read a story. There was this couple. Um, they wanted to do it bigger than anybody, and they lit off fireworks. It was in Arizona, though. Grass fires tend to happen in Arizona. 45,000 acres burned, $8 million in damage for a gender reveal. Whew, they'll never forget that. I hope it was at least a boy when they said it was a boy, right? <laughs> it, it is crazy. I, I can remember, I remember when, so um, we became grandparents uh, four years ago, and I remember my, my daughter and her son Andy coming to our home to reveal the gender. And it was funny because 
they didn't find out themselves until literally like three minutes before because my daughter cannot keep a secret, and she knew if she knew, um, she couldn't not tell us. So they came in our house, went down, and they had had a friend that went to a fantasy cupcake and bought these cake pops. And um, so her friend knew, but she didn't know. And so they sat there, and they bit into the cake pops and found out. And then they literally came upstairs, and then it was our turn, right? So there's Amy, my daughter Hope, and I wedged on this love seat that's only meant for two people, but we're all there because we got to all be on video as they videotape this. And um, we're sitting there, and I'm excited. I mean, I'm just, ugh. So you got to understand, I had all sisters. I had all daughters. The 17 cousins, I had two boy cousins, okay? So I was kind of hoping. And when I bit into that cake pop and saw blue, I lost it. I mean, just over-the-top excited. Um, it was so cool. And now that's not to say my granddaughter isn't special because she definitely is. But it's just very exciting, right? To bring new life into this world continues to be something to celebrate each and every day. Now, when you think about the birth of the Christ child, we should be incredibly excited as well as we know the purpose behind his birth, right? The nativity is a reminder of Jesus' birth and all that it brings to our lives. It is also a reminder of the effect it has on us today as Christ followers. It is the birth of something new. The reason the nativity, the birth of Jesus, is so significant is not because this birth happened one day long ago or because it is a neat story but because God's desire for each of us is for the love of Christ to be born within us even today, for the love of God to be revealed to the world through the way in which we live. For us as individuals, as followers of Christ, to be forever changed because of his love for us. So as we finish this fourth week, I'm going to ask you to ponder, what would it be like if each of us was filled with the expectation that God would birth something new within us this season? that we would begin to prepare ourselves for all that God desires to do in each of us in the coming year. Now, as we look back at the nativity story, we start from the beginning when the promise was originally made in the Old Testament. This was a promise that was very familiar to the Jews as it had been written 700 years before his birth and was something that they were anticipating to be fulfilled. So if you can open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 7, if you don't have a Bible, we have some out on the table. I'm just going to read verse 14 for us, which we've been reading throughout the Advent season, but I think it's important to go back to again today. So Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now Emmanuel means God with us. And you think about it. I mean, God's always been with us, right? He was here before us. However, for him to be physically present as a living, breathing, human baby boy is so very exciting. I think that's just so appropriate that they call him Emmanuel. Later in Isaiah, the prophet tells us exactly who is coming through this virgin birth. So moving forward to Isaiah chapter 9, I'm going to read verses 6 and 7. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Isn't that something to be excited about, even today? I mean, truly, just to go through that and read, it gives me chills. Now, 700 years before Christ's birth, it had been prophesied that there would be a sign given to God's people that they had not been forgotten in their sinful and broken states. But instead, when they see a virgin give birth to a child, they would see the tangible love of God coming into the world to rescue us all. It would be the birth of our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting Father, our Prince of Peace. This instruction was given to, in Isaiah was to ensure God's people were prepared for the Jewish people to be looking in anticipation for their Savior to be born. This promise is meant for us as well, though. We, too, are to live our lives with expectancy for what God will do, to make space in our lives, to make room for the birth of a work of God within us, even before the work of God comes into our lives. Now we're going to jump forward into the New Testament Gospels where we have two different accounts of the nativity, the birth of our Savior. So Matthew and Luke each tell the story in a way in which God came into the world, a broken, messed up world, to be with us because of his love. Now something that I realized going through these this week in my preparation, that these two Gospels give unique perspectives on the announcement of Jesus coming into the world. So the Gospel of Matthew is mainly from Joseph's perspective while the Gospel of Luke is primarily from Mary's viewpoint. But each dovetails with the other to complete the picture. Today we're going to focus on Mary's perspective in Luke, which gives a bit of a backstory to the nativity. It begins with the angel Gabriel speaking to a young teenage girl who has no idea what she is about to encounter, an event that will forever change her life and the life of all of us. So let's move to Luke chapter 1 starting in verse 26. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and is of his kingdom there will be no end. Can you imagine? receiving a message brought by an angel that she would conceive a child whose name would be Jesus. Now, there's a big key to this story, right? This isn't just about a baby being born. This is unlike any other birth story before or since. For Mary is a virgin. She remains a virgin throughout this. She is betrothed, but she has not yet been married to Joseph. Yet she will become pregnant. So this announcement had to have been a difficult thing to process, to say the least. Downright disruptive to the life she was expecting. Imagine being in her shoes, soon to be married to a respectable, just man, 
her whole life before her. Then this angel shows up. What was going through her mind? Now realize, she was probably 14, maybe 15 years old at the time of this message. The question she must have had, I can only pretend to think. Here are a few. What do you mean I am going to become pregnant? I am not yet married. What will my family think? What will Joseph think? What do you mean this child will be the son of the Most High, a king who will rule over all things? So many questions, so many unknowns. But you see, when God is ready to do something new in us, it is almost always a disruption. In a world that is broken and marked by sin, oftentimes demonstrated through our own self-centeredness, the arrival of God's love causes a disruption to any plans that we may have. But that's the point, right? When God shows up in our lives, our life plans are often disrupted. Now Mary's life has taken a turn here, one that I'm sure she never expected or could have ever imagined. As far as she knew, she was about to marry this nice Jewish boy named Joseph when suddenly she's been chosen to give birth to the Savior of the world. Talk about a disruption. Then think about Joseph, his own thought process before he too heard from God. I can imagine him thinking, my fiance has become pregnant, but it's not my baby. How do I explain this to all my friends and to my family? I know that Mary says an angel told her that this baby is not from another man, but how do I know? Thankfully, and of course, God has an answer to that and is that covered as well, right? Now, I want to encourage you from Joseph's point of view this holiday season, take time, go into Matthew, read chapter 1, 18 through 25, and see how Joseph processes this news. But there's even more. Think of the political power of the day that King Herod, who was in control of all of Israel, but ruling under the authority of Rome. For this baby to come into the world and be the son of God, the king of kings, meant that all the earthly kings would have to go to include him. Another disruption. And if you read further in Matthew, you can see how he responds. It is not a pretty story. So there's a lot going on, a lot of disruption, right? all because of the birth of a baby in a manger. This, this disruption comes because of the promise that was made 700 years before that God loves his people so much he would come to dwell with them through this baby who was born to a humble young girl named Mary. We too can experience the disruption when God goes through about entering our lives. When you think about it, when a disruption like this occurs, we really have two choices that, that we can make as to how to respond. We can either choose to avoid it, trying to control things through our own power, or to embrace it, trusting that our Father in Heaven knows exactly what He is doing. When God is trying to birth something new within us, there can be many emotions. It may feel confusing, hard, exciting, inexplicable, or totally uncontrollable. But let me ask you, when this happens, what do you do? Do you avoid it or do you embrace it? You know, I can think um, of a few different times where God has entered my life and caused disruption. There's quite a few. Uh, 
One I'm going to share just to keep it short, because I think I've shared this story before, is, is how really God moved in my life to actually get me to be here speaking to you today. So back in 1999, I was in the Navy. We were in Oklahoma, and um, I had plans, we had plans for me to go get out of the Navy in 2001 and um, go fly for the airlines. That was, that was our job. I had no idea where we were going to live, what we were going to do, but that was my, my plan, right? Well, in order to fly for the airlines, you have to get what's called an airline transport pilot's license. It's a week-long effort. It costs like $7,000. Well, that was in 1999, so I don't know what it costs today. Um, but I was all set up. I had the class scheduled. was going to drive down to uh, San Antonio, take the course, pay for it, and, and, and then uh, start looking for an airline job. Well, about two weeks before I'm supposed to go down to, to San Antonio, our little Z24 started having what I thought was transmission problems, all right? Well, we could not afford both a transmission and this, uh, this certification, so I called up, canceled it, and said, I'll come in a few months when we get this paid off and fixed. Well, during that time, while my car was still being evaluated, I found out about the National Guard. And um, I started exploring it and realized that this was something that would fit much better, we thought at the time, um, much more calm lifestyle into our lives and what we wanted as a family. So I wouldn't be gone two weeks out every month. So I started exploring that. I never went back and got my airline transport pilot license. Um, but God moved. He brought us here, and it was uh, quite an endeavor. In 10 months' time, we lived in four houses. Um, I came here not having a permanent job, no insurance. It was a little bit stressful, to say the least. Uh, but the cool thing was God brought us to new life. It was the second church we visited, and we, ne we haven't left since uh, July of 2001. Uh, right before things got real interesting for us. But since that time, what's been neat to see how God has moved in my life was it wasn't shortly after that where I was asked to be a life group leader. That was a stretch. And then after that, a deacon. That was a stretch. And then God called me to be an elder. And that's a stretch. And I'm confident that he's not done moving in my life and continuing to grow me. But talk about a disruption. Here we had a plan. And honestly, if I'd gone to the airline, think about that. 2001, September 11th, we'd probably been living in the basement with my parents because I would have been furloughed, and that would not have gone well, right? So thankfully, God has better plans for me than I can ever, ever imagine. But he was moving through all that. He provided a full-time job, one that I was not supposed to have. He provided friends and family in a place where we knew absolutely no one whatsoever. And for, we are forever blessed, and this is our home, as long as God keeps us here. All because God disrupted my life, we've moved and seen him move in our lives. I will say it wasn't always easy. There's definitely difficult times. There's no, Amy didn't ride on a donkey from Oklahoma to here, right? <laughs> Thankfully. Um, but it she did ride in a car with a lot of our household goods. Um, two daughters, aged two and a half and five, a cat, her mother-in-law. Oh, yeah, the car broke down on the way in St. Louis. And I was stuck in Oklahoma still. 
And we were apart for four months during that time. It was crazy, crazy. So I want to ask you, you know, this morning as you came to church, were you wrestling with the disruption in your life? Maybe it's a new job you're not sure what to do about. Maybe it's a loss of some kind that is painful. Maybe it is the sin that has finally found you out. Maybe it's a relationship that has hit a dead end. Or maybe it is a need that you see around you that you can't get off your mind. Any of these can be difficult and disruptive. But have you considered that this may be God's grace and his love bringing about something new in your life? Some of us this morning have spent years avoiding a disruption that God has been trying to use to birth something new. My prayer today would be that for each of us, we would stop avoiding the disruptions that God can use to help us experience him and start embracing the work that God wants to do within us through his great love. Like Mary and Joseph in the story, God is wanting to do something through our lives that will change the world, but we must choose how we will respond to embrace it despite the disruption. So let's look at how Mary responds. We're going to pick up back in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 34, where it says, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. I love that he gives somebody to partner with in this. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. So Mary asks a fair question, right? How will this be? For she knew she was still a virgin. There's no natural way that God could bring about what has been promised. In her mind, there can be no new birth because it does not seem humanly possible. And she's right. It's not humanly possible. This is the work of God, a new birth in more ways than one. And Mary had new birth excuses, but thankfully, nothing is impossible with God. Now, we all have reasons why God cannot do a new work in us. I want to ask you, have you ever heard others say or even said yourself any of these? There, was, there is no way God can save my marriage. It's too far gone. There's no way God could love me. I've made too many mistakes. I will never see the relationship with my son or daughter restored. There has been too much damage done. I will never be able to get on top of my bills. There is just too much debt. Or I will never be able to get clean and stay sober. The temptation is just too, too strong. These are all reasons in our simple minds, otherwise known as excuses, for why we can't experience new birth. Like Mary, we may point out from a human perspective that it just does not make sense for God to be able to do a work in us or through us. But look how the angel responds to her excuse. He says, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Essentially, he was saying, you see, Mary, what is impossible with man is possible with God. This is not a work of mere men. This is the work of the creator of the universe. All of our excuses about why this Christmas should not be a fresh start and a new birth 
are valid in our own eyes if we choose not to look for God in them. In and of ourselves, they are impossible. But through the love of God, expressed through his miraculous birth, anything is possible. This nativity, this birth, changed the world 2,000 years ago. And it's still changing the world today because the same Spirit of God that came upon Mary is the same Most High that can overshadow us today. God wants to birth something new within you. And it's not about your ability, your effort, your qualifications, your track record, or your status. It's simply about seeing that whatever disruption God has allowed or brought into your life is an act of love and is something to be embraced rather than avoided. Now we need to pay attention to Mary's response to the fulfilled promise. In verse 38 it says, And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary's response? Surrender. She opens herself up to whatever God wants to do within her life and realize all the questions that she has are still not answered. There's plenty yet to be revealed. But she is willing and she rests in God's love for her, for this newborn son, and for God's love for the world. She says, may your word to me be fulfilled. So let me ask, what if this was the kind of posture we committed to this Christmas season? How would our lives be different? Our submission to God has everything to do with what we perceive to be our greatest need. Now, author and pastor Max Licato said this, and it's a beautiful quote. It says, If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. So God sent us a Savior. The world's greatest need was and still is the love and grace of God. Thankfully, Mary was willing to take on the disruption that giving birth to the Savior of the world would require. We, too, need to demonstrate our own love to our Heavenly Father, choosing to embrace the disruption when God allows it to enter our lives. So here's another question. If this is the posture we choose to take this Christmas season, how might God use us to birth something new in someone else's life? I like this because the message of this birth is not intended to just change Mary and Joseph's life, but to change the entire world. This message of a baby named Jesus is meant to usher in a new kingdom that is the kingdom of heaven. This kingdom does not look like the worldly kingdom in which we now reside. His kingdom is dedicated to turning the world on its head and healing the broken and rescuing the lost. Love is the norm in this kingdom and it becomes a reality when we receive the love of God for us and offer the love of God for others. Now, I believe that the new work that God does within our lives could be good news for someone else as well. This Advent season, we have an opportunity to join together as a church and allow the birth of Jesus to move us to be part of a new birth within each of our lives. Consider the ways you could do something new to demonstrate his love to others. 
Maybe it is finding a local family to buy gifts for as an extension of generosity and love. Maybe it is serving at a local mission or homeless shelter during the holiday. Maybe it is inviting a neighbor to eat a meal and developing a new relationship. Maybe it is beginning new family traditions that put Christ first or reconciling with others, offering love and grace. This is what can happen to us when we believe the good news of Jesus' birth as more than just a historical story from the past, but also as a promise that affects our present. Our lives can be changed, and in so doing, we can have an eternal impact of the, on the lives of those around us. So may, wait, excuse me, so may we be people who, like Mary, are willing to embrace the disruption and eager to say, may your word to me be fulfilled. You do whatever you want in me, God. This is how we show him our love. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, you've loved us so much beyond anything we deserve. You've blessed us in so many ways, and most of all, through the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. And because of this, Lord, we want to show this broken world that we too can love others as you have loved us, Father. Your devotion, your dedication, your willingness to serve and to sacrifice on our behalf, Lord, is something we can never repay. But we're eternally grateful and thankful for the love you show us each and every day. Amen.